1: Bring in show
2: music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pot, higher prices still here and squeezing the supply chain.
3: You know what it's called? The bullwhip effect. Right. You know why I know that? I'm studying up for my big supply chain conference.
2: New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on the volatile economy.
3: On the one hand, you've got real hurt
1: at the kitchen table in terms of affordability. On the other hand... We've had 21 straight months of job growth. We're at or near what our all-time low unemployment rate.
2: And September rolls on. Offices are open. Are the workers showing up? Is this the new normal, though? Life is relative. Half of people are here on the busy Life stage. is
4: relative.
2: The New York Times' Kate Kelly on Wall Street's tough choices in 2022. They're reinstating
5: the dreaded performance review, and they're going to be getting rid of the bottom
6: performers.
2: Plus, Amazon's NFL touchdown and a Beyond Meat exec did what? This is one of those things that,
6: you know, only the New York Post can do
2: this story well. It's Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, it's the day we've been waiting for. I mean, haven't you? The Federal Reserve Open Market Committee begins its two-day policy meeting today. The Fed is likely to raise its benchmark interest rate by another 75 basis points in the aggressive campaign of the central bank to rein in inflation. Bond yields pushed higher in anticipation. The 10-year Treasury yield hit its highest level in 11 years. And investors are in a wait-and-see mode. Dumping stocks for much of the last week and looking for guidance from the Fed and from around the world. And that is where we start today with Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew kicks things off.
6: We've been
4: talking uh, today about uh, the FOMC meeting that kicks off. And the Fed isn't the only global central bank in the news in Asia today. uh, China's central bank uh, keeping its key one-year and five-year loan prime rates unchanged. PBOC cutting both of those rates uh, just last month. And in Europe, Sweden's central bank hiking rates by 100 basis points, saying inflation is too high. Speaking of inflation, Germany reporting its producer prices soared nearly 46% year over year just last month. That headline number was driven by soaring energy costs. It was hotter than economists had expected. Think about that, 46%. Uh, it's a lot lot more than people had expected. When you strip out energy, the core Uh, German PPI reading low rose only 13% year-over-year, but I say only, I mean 13%, get your 13% bond out, and four-tenths of a percent uh, month over
3: month. That's a key difference, obviously. When you heard 46, you immediately thought natural gas or energy or whatever in Germany. But when you factor it out, that's no bargain. 13%, that's no bargain. We're nowhere near there.
6: Well, and, yeah. and these European banks are behind the curve. Right. Um, the Swedish bank, why you see them moving 100 basis points? Right. The dollar is so strong right now, it's crushing everybody else's currency. When
3: you factor out energy, are you really factoring out all the it,
0: downstream wait, no. effects of, no. of, no, of energy?
3: Not. No, they're still all it there based on in everything, everything else. You're so you're yeah. just taking out the nominal, but it's still what, what is. Uh, What's moving everything? Corporate news a warning uh, from Ford continuing uh, supply chain issues. The auto giant telling investors it's going to incur an extra $1 billion in costs during the third quarter. Company blaming inflation, supply chain issues. Ford says it's dealing with uh, part shortages affecting 40,000 to 45,000 vehicles. These are mostly uh, high margin trucks and SUVs that uh, haven't been able to reach dealers. The company's backing its full year guidance, so saying that the vehicles should be delivered to dealers in the fourth quarter, shares of rival GM and General Motors. But Ford had been doing better than its peers because it had inventory, because it, it had some, I don't know, some fire over in a uh, Japan supplier a year ago that, uh, that had caused them to be able to, to fill so, in. They got so many suppliers you know and subsuppliers.
6: But you know thousands. what I thought when I heard this story is we've talked about every other industry that, that couldn't keep up with demand and then all of a sudden demand shifted, the stuff was here. You look at the retailers, you look at any of these different industries and it made me think, I wanna wait before I buy a new car another six months. Cause you're gonna go from having to have a six month wait and all of a sudden all of the tens of thousands of cars that are almost ready to go are gonna flood right. onto the lots at the same time.
3: You know what it's called? The bullwhip effect. Right. right. <laughs> you know why I know that? I'm studying up for my big supply chain conference. I, it, you know. <laughs> I was so <all> out. <laughs> so I'm studying up and I'm learning about just in time, just in case, and uh, inventory. All those. Uh, it's going to be
4: interesting you many, from now. In the supply way we are on cars. I don't know if we. St- I think there's still going to be a shortage. I do. I, I do. Used, be-
6: pri- used car prices came down for the no, first time. No, I know.
4: But there's just there's so many people who have been holding off and waiting, and I still think there's a lot of folks out there with a lot of cash that are going to that's, I think it might, a year, two years from now, maybe. But I think that, that right now there's still a, a Maybe a year. Maybe a year. A I'd, year. Give it,
6: yeah. I'd give it six months to a year. But I'm thinking a year. It's just once they finally get the components for all these cars that have been sitting there. And the, by the way, these are high margin vehicles that are sitting there waiting.
4: No, I don't disagree. It's, I'm just I'm saying. Just if, if you have that happen at the same there's time, there's time still that there's a slowdown
6: a, in the consumer and the consumer I, I, is I thinking think the maybe is, I need a used car instead of a new how car. How many
4: parts? Yeah, but there are leases that are coming up. There's a whole sort of cycle.
3: There, there. are
6: a lot of people who have been waiting. I will, I will give you that.
4: how many parts
3: in a gasoline powered car how many parts would you think I'm gonna tell you 30,000 30,000 parts and do you know how many tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 Stairs. tier 5 su- yeah. suppliers are thousands one crappy part out of 30,000 that you can't get
6: in this case it's probably chips
3: right it could be chips Mostly chips, but but thirty thousand. Only one has to be, right, you know, and only one supplier that had to be dealing with COVID or, or labor or whatever shutdowns and shut down the whole thing. able to do anything, right? If you have any questions, uh, supply chain questions, just call uh, oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Professor. Or, or, or just send, you
4: know, send me.
6: to at Joe Squawk.
4: It's <laughs> the Squawkopedia. <laughs> right. If your office seems more crowded, by the way, these days, it is not your imagination. New survey showing that office capacity use is now at 47.5% of the levels seen uh, in early 2020. That's the highest since before the pandemic began. That's according to a new survey of 10 major metropolitan areas. About 55% of the pre-pandemic workforce is now showing up at the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Fridays are still a little bit thin.
6: Weird that we're thinking, oh, you know, 55% are showing up in the office. My goodness, it's like crowded in there now. You know, is this the new normal, though? Life is relative. Half of people are here on the busiest days? Life stage. is
4: relative. Yeah. Well, it depends what... The, the truth is that even on a regular day, uh, for the most part, if you if you look at the stats, it was about 70% because people would be traveling. So you're Around. really not... We're not... It's not 55% of 100%. It's really 55%. It's sort of where you, where, where you really are. Yeah. Exactly turns out that Amazon's Thursday night football broadcast is spurring a jump uh, in new Prime subscriptions. This was an amazing stat. According to an internal memo seen by Bloomberg, last Thursday's game attracted a record number of new Prime subscriptions for a three-hour period. Amazon has an 11-year, $13 billion contract to broadcast Thursday night football. And uh, that memo effectively saying that they got more people coming in than even on Prime Day or anything else. So... In in some cases, maybe it's quote-unquote working, Um, and I think there's been questions about that. Major legal uh, trouble, perhaps, for Beyond Meat's
3: COO, Doug Ramsey, who was an anchor at CNBC long ago, different Doug Ramsey. This is a crazy story. Yeah, he was arrested for allegedly biting a man's nose in a parking garage uh, after an Arkansas uh, college football game. I don't think he just went up and did that. I think there was like a fight. Uh, and they, that was, was something, he, something, some he resorted, something he resorted to a nose bite. He was charged with terroristic, threatening, and third-degree battery. A police reports as the altercation happened in a parking garage near the University of Arkansas Razorback Stadium, Ramsey allegedly uh, punched through the back windshield uh, of a vehicle after it made contact with his car's front tire. And the owner of the other vehicle is said to have gotten out, and then Ramsey allegedly punched him and bit his nose. Ramsey has served as Beyond Meat COO since December. Previously, he spent three decades uh, at Tyson's. You're on the
4: board of Beyond Meat. What
3: do you do?
6: I mean, I guess I'd look into more details, but from what I've heard, this is pretty shocking. How?
3: First, you deal with all the obvious comments that are going to be on Twitter about, well, the vegetarians, I, yeah, we could first you deal with that, and yeah. then, then the, I guess, the cannibal. I don't know. There's all that stupid stuff. You ever been in a really bad fight? It's, it's like I have you, not you resort to, happily, it. you, you kind of just like if you're really in pain and you're getting, you know, I, I, I guess, guess you would try like anything. Remember Mike Tyson bit out? off some guy's yeah, ear? Yeah,
6: but he punched the back windshield. I know. Crashed. It sounded like <laughs> you think like a maybe
3: movie. It, it was a college football game. Perhaps some alcohol was involved. Have if, if we decided? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's not, I don't know Which is more concerning, if there was or wasn't alcohol? Oh no, they had. To, they, they, you know, college football, stuff happens. That there's, there's people get just toasted in, in a you know, for four quarters.
6: And then they're in their cars. And driving then their away. Cars And then they get mad.
3: And there's breaking the fans Versus, the you know, thing, is, it, yeah, there's fans from different, you know, and, and you get the SEC. And if the, it
4: was all in
3: self-defense, maybe. You mean I'd not the security? Exchange. Give him a pass. No, not the <laughs> securities but <laughs> exchange, but 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 big the fans SEC on conference. both sides of a really contentious Ooh. game, and and. They Yell things at each other. No,
6: it's like you're the CEO of a publicly. Remember company. college. Be careful. I remember college too. Big eight. But You weren't on uh, the.
3: Oklahoma would come into town, and those guys were just ready. Uh, they were the roughnecks. The roughnecks in the Colorado, and we're all like hippies. You know, we're all t- Toasted for a different reason. Uh, no, that was neither. That, that wasn't me. No, yeah, this Somebody is a difficult com-
6: conversation. <laughs> this is one of those things that you know only the New York Post can do this story well. Let's let's wait and see.
3: Yeah, the, and uh, there will is it? Yeah, wait till tomorrow. You think they'll go for th- the cover on that? I think it's in the paper, isn't it? Is yeah. it already?
4: Right, yeah, yeah, I think it's. Yeah, right. I didn't look at the post. Yeah, no, today. I think it's already done. This is. This, I don't want to say we're. We don't have old news here on Squawk, but I think that this is this was yesterday's news. So
6: yeah, but it was. It was a story for people to talk about and still continue, and it will be difficult for the board to figure out.
4: COO,
3: uh, he, he, they may have a new COO in mind.
4: how You figured they got other issues, right? I mean, that whole business is a tough business. I think if the story wasn't on the front, the Queen might have, have, have made it hard for, for that story to uh, right. Was well, it in the body of to the get, uh, to get in front?
3: Maybe it's here. not. If it's not anywhere, then it might be tomorrow. I don't I don't well, know. Know see.
0: Cheese will be next.
2: Next on Squawk Pod, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on keeping the Garden State's businesses in the green.
1: We're not done. Uh, we are constantly finding ways to deliver uh, help to small businesses because we know they have been crushed uh, disproportionately in this pandemic.
2: Plus, the Manhattan-Jersey commuter conundrum.
1: All we want is a fair deal, whether you're a
7: commuter or a taxpayer.
2: All of that right after this break. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC, today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Goldman Sachs is poised to cut hundreds
6: of jobs this month, and the economic effects will be felt not only on Wall Street, but also in state houses like New Jersey's. A financial downturn could strain the Garden State's budget surplus. For more on this, we want to bring in New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. By the way, I also want to give a big shout out to Governor Murphy because the three major ratings companies upgraded New Jersey's credit this year. The latest was by Fitch Ratings last week, and Fitch hasn't upgraded this state since 1992. Governor, um, not often that we get to give big shout outs for this, but congratulations on getting that recognition from these ratings agencies.
1: Becky, thank you. Um, I've, I've been dealing with rating agencies in one capacity or another for 40 years, and I know when they when they take you down, it's often hard and fast, but when they take you up, it's a long journey, and and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've continued to deliver on the expectations that we put out there when we got into office now almost five years ago. We're gratified by the upgrades, and we're hopefully hoping to continue to earn more in the years ahead.
6: Part of the reasoning be behind all of these upgrades came from just what's been done over the long term. They, you, you were able to make pension payments for the second year in a row. That's the first time the state's done that in 25 years. The other um, big issue is the $6 billion uh, budget surplus that the state of New Jersey has at this point. I, I think you're setting this aside for rainy days, and I guess the question is, are rainy days here? When you hear about things like Goldman Sachs, when you see what's happening and inflation. Do we need this budget surplus right now to survive some difficult days ahead?
1: Yeah, I think we do, uh, is, is the short answer. And you're right. The, the, the budget I signed uh, a couple of months ago had a surplus of $6.8 billion. I think the budget the year before we got here was $440 million. And by the way, on top of the 6800000000 billion, we've got another over $5 billion in either a debt avoidance or a debt defeasance fund. And I, I thought the prior conversation that Joe had Uh, on the the prospects of a recession at about 50 50. That seems right to me. So we don't want to get caught out. Uh, New Jersey's been caught out before. uh, And we are determined not to get caught out again. Our our job is to make sure we deliver affordability, that we've got enough in the bank uh, for a rainy day, and that we outperform other like states. And those are our obsessions right now.
6: What do you see in the tax receipts at this point? We keep hearing about how the consumer's very flush. We keep hearing about how businesses are flush. Everybody sees tough times ahead. But what do you see in the day-to-day tax receipts?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird environment because on the one hand, you've got real hurt at the kitchen table in terms of affordability, which is why we've backed the truck up on record property tax relief and free sales tax uh, for back-to-school stuff and other steps that we've taken on the one hand. On the other hand, we've had 21 straight months of job growth. We're at or near what our all-time low unemployment rate and revenues into the state coffers continue to be strong. So we're very much in this tale of two cities moment and we've been in it for several months now. Uh, and again, we're, we're hoping for the best But we're preparing for the worst.
6: If you ask the state's business leaders, they will tell you much higher odds of a recession. in fact, I think the New Jersey Chamber of Commerce recently put out a survey that showed almost 70 percent of the state's business leaders think we're already in a recession. Seventy one percent of them think that recession will last more than a year and more than 50 percent, 58 percent of the state's respondents of the respondents think that New Jersey's efforts to support small businesses since the pandemic have been ineffective. What do you say to those business leaders?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not on the outlook. I'm not nearly as dire as they are, but I think listen, a 50-50 chance of a recession within the next 18 months is a pretty significant statement in and of itself. I'm not as dire as as, as they are, and I would just say, with all due respect, I don't agree with them in terms of what we've done for small businesses. But that doesn't mean uh, that we're patting ourselves on the back. I think we've delivered now since the pandemic began something like 900 million dollars. To small businesses. Only New York and California have put more money on the street, and they're a lot bigger than we are. And secondly, we're not done. Uh, we are constantly finding ways to deliver uh, help to small businesses because we know they have been crushed uh, disproportionately in this. Pandemic and in the economic turmoil that, that resulted.
6: We have a lot more people who are working at home these days. We just uh, looked at some survey data from this past week, which was Get Back to Work week, and something like the high, mark, high water mark in the middle of the week was 55% of office occupancy um, in New York City. A lot of those people who aren't going to work are working still at home in New Jersey, and they have been for two and a half years. Some of them haven't set foot in the city again, and yet New York is still taking all of their tax dollars. Is that a situation that you think is fair? Have you had any conversations with New York about that?
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's fair. We have had conversations, And, and you're absolutely right. We're in this very sort of transitional phase where you're either at home, you're at headquarters, or maybe, and I think this will increasingly be the case, there will be what I would call plug and play uh, operations that are sort of a hybrid, sort of a step in between. We know at least one big Wall Street bank that's going to open something like that up in New Jersey uh, sometime later this year. Yeah, listen, the the, the uh, New Jersey taxpayers and commuters are are under assault, and we're not going to we're not going to let that stand. Whether it's fighting back against congestion pricing on the one hand. Again, we want, we're all for mitigating uh, climate change, but let's do it in a fair way and doesn't double tax New Jersey commuters. Or your very fair point, uh, we, we tried to uh, do this through the US Supreme Court. They rejected our, our challenge. So we're gonna try to do this through other statutory steps. But we wanna make sure our taxpayers get a fair deal and they're protected. And by the way, the state of New Jersey is protected.
4: Governor, to that point though, there's sort of an interesting balance that I imagine you have sort of balance beam situation, which is I imagine you have to want a strong New York City in Manhattan to exist because it creates the hub that has created for the the suburbs, the sprawl, if you will, that has, that has made New Jersey as successful as it has been. You may disagree with that and say New Jersey unto itself no. is successful, irrespective of New York City, but I, I, I don't think that's the truth i no. think and i think that's the truth by the way for part of new york and part of connecticut frankly yep. and so well, the it, issue it, is it, if new it, york becomes a com- if new york city becomes a complete failure as a city and doesn't collect any tax dollars because everybody's doing their work in new jersey it doesn't collect over time, tax dollars from people who, it, who don't come here but over no but over time i imagine it creates a bigger dilemma for for New Jersey, for Connecticut, and the state of New York collectively.
1: So, Joe, it's a very good point. I want to say this unequivocally. We root for New York City's success, period. Period. Your point is very well taken. I think it's and both, by the way. It's both success in New York City and in, inside of the New Jersey ecosystem. All we want is a fair deal, whether you're a commuter or a taxpayer. that's not Getting a fair deal is not to say that we don't root for New York City's success because we do, and, and we always will. But, but it, does, it isn't one or the other, it should be and both.
3: I haven't said anything yet. Uh, that was Andrew, uh, Governor. The, the only thing oh, I would sorry. say is, did Mrs. Murphy tell you to grow your hair out on top? That looks I like so it. much better. You I look like so good today. Was that the wife's idea, what, what happened?
1: It, it was not, it was my barber's idea, and I'm sorry for transposing Andrew and Joe, I won't let that happen again. My barber said to me one day, uh, she said, "Listen, you have no hair. Why do I? Why do you keep I mean, coming here like and cutting?" It's like night it? and
3: day. I mean, it's like you're. Like, I, I don't know. I think Hollywood might steal the governor at, at some or point. Or Joe. It,
6: Joe. Yeah, or me. This idea. Or me. Yeah, um, Governor. Very, very go. quickly, we are hearing that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is preparing for a run for president. Uh, at least he will, if you don't have President Biden run again. Um, California is not in nearly the shape that New Jersey's in. Are you eyeing a national race?
1: Now, listen, President Biden has said publicly, he said privately to me in the White House a couple of weeks ago, he's going. I, I take him on his word. And I said to him, assuming he does go, he will have no stronger backer than yours truly. And that's that's, to me, the, the base case right now, and that's what we're assuming will happen.
6: So he told you that he's definitely going, even though that's not what he told 60 Minutes this week, that he's still No, I, I shouldn't
1: in. say that. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I said to him, I should say, I, you, you've said you're going. I take you on your word, and assuming you do go, there'll be no stronger backer than yours truly. I want to make sure I get that, that's that right.
6: Governor Phil Murphy, state of New Jersey.
2: Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you for having me
2: next we have more on wall street's bankers they're back at their desks but maybe not for long at least for some wall street compensation workloads and how it all might change new york times reporter kate kelly at banks at private
5: equity shops they know that they need to hang on to their best performers and that's how they're going to weather these downturns
7: from their innovative practice facility
4: And Andrew bye.
2: You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thank
4: you, Andrew. The growing number of Americans returning to the office this month. Robert Frank joins us with some new numbers and, yes, some mixed reviews as well. Robert.
0: Good morning, Andrew. Well, some good news finally for New York City. Last week was the strongest back to office week for New York since the pandemic. The average office occupancy for last week was 47%. That is a massive jump from the 38%. The week before and for much of the summer, Wednesday actually hit 57.5% with big drop offs on Monday and Friday. New York's subways, buses, and commuter rails hitting a post COVID record Wednesday. The subway carried 3.7 million people Wednesday, which is about 63% of the pre pandemic levels. The same for buses. The number of workers who are still fully remote is now at about 16%. That's way down from 28% just this past spring. And of course, three days a week seems to be the new normal in New York City. A survey of employers by the Partnership for New York City found that 77% of employers are gonna stay hybrid and by the end of the year, most will be three days a week. Only 11% will be in the office five days a week by the end of this year. And it varies by industry. Not surprisingly, real estate companies are expecting the highest at 82% by the end of the year, financial services about 62%, and the tech industry much lower there at the bottom at around 50%. Now, if you look nationwide, the city with the highest in-office rate right now is Austin, Texas at 61%. The worst is San Jose out in California, still under 40%. Andrew. Thank you,
4: Robert. It has been a tough year for Wall Street with uh, markets taking a hit, inflation on the rise and a slowdown of IPOs. So bankers are worried they're going to see their bonuses shrink up to 25 percent. Joining us right now is Kate Kelly, New York Times reporter and a CNBC contributor. And the real question, Kate, to me is so there's going to be obviously a shrink in in the bonus pool. But what do you think the layoff picture looks like at the same time?
5: I'm sure that people are apprehensive about that, Andrew. I mean, we know, for example, from Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon, that they're going to go through a layoff exercise any day now. Um, And although this was an annual thing for many years, they had put performance reviews on hold during the pandemic. They're reinstating the dreaded performance review, um, and they're going to be uh, getting rid of the bottom performers, that sort of 1% to 5% um, bracket. So I think it's possible that we'll see that at other Wall Street firms as well, especially as profitability falls and we continue to have so much market volatility, but more importantly, volatility of course is good for the sales and trading desks oftentimes. But in banking, you see that all important MA number continue to fall. I looked at the dealogic numbers yesterday, quarter right. to date, year to date, and they are way down year over year.
4: So how much of the the Goldman layoffs do you think is just a culling after you know a two Two, three year period where they continued to hire, hire, hire during the pandemic. And how much do you think is actually related to this current state of affairs? in terms of where you think MA and other and banking activity really is?
5: Well, that's the key question. So far, it's been framed as a calling, right? I, I think partly because they don't want people to get nervous about that other possibility you were talking about. But at the same time, you know, they historically had about 40,000 people employed at the bank, and they went up to about 50,000 during the pandemic because of all the hiring you mentioned. So I think there's probably a reassessment going on there of their staffing levels as well as at many other places about their staffing levels, especially as we go into a not to use the R word, but potentially recessionary period uh, where everybody's going to want to hunker down and stick to businesses that have the proper p and as they see it um, to weather the storm.
4: OK, so the other the flip side of this question is in an environment where unemployment rates are so low and everybody is looking for employees. To the extent that folks either are going to be losing their jobs or not going to be getting the bonuses that they expect, want, etc. Are there other opportunities on the other side for these same people?
5: Yeah, I looked at the Johnson Associates uh, second quarter report, their third quarter report, of course, not available yet. But they looked at bonuses by sector within finance. So they looked at hedge funds, uh, traditional asset management, private equity banking, and they break down Uh, into segments in terms of sales and trading versus investment banking, et cetera. So as always, and I remember doing this story often when I was full-time at CNBC, like the great performers, especially on the trading desks are always going to have job opportunities. Right. And so, there's always this carve out for people who are particularly successful. And in a year like this, where uh, rates activity and fixed income activity has been kind of wild, you know, those that were able to capitalize on that and generate profits are going to have good opportunities. So I think in the hedge fund side is probably where you see the greatest strength in terms of bonus potential, at least according to Johnson associates. And I also talked to a couple of finance recruiters yesterday who seem to share that feeling. So they'll still have optionality, um, investment bankers, tough year. I mean, one person I talked to said they thought potentially bonuses could go down as much as 50%. Mm. And uh, they mentioned that, think about last year as a real high. So, you know, in absolute terms, that sounds bad. In relative terms, you have to consider how good last year was and how far one would have to fall uh, right. from that. But at the same time, like, there's not, I think, a lot of mobility for those that are sort of the middle uh, bracket of performance and are in a challenged area uh, because you're seeing those challenges in traditional asset management. You're even seeing it in private equity. Um, So,
4: Well, that's what I was going to say. So many bankers have have graduated over the years from banking to private equity. How, How do you sort of see that play out this Christmas?
5: Hard to know. I mean, again, I think I think it's a generally uh, sort of depressing environment for people and all the prognostications about, you know, bonus figures and sort of deal activity through the end of the year are sort of challenged. Obviously, the cost of capital is is likely to go up yet again on Wednesday, um, starting on Wednesday. So uh, in terms of all the levered deal making that private equity does, that's going to be a lot more expensive. They're probably going to have to be a lot more selective about what they're doing. Um, But at the same time, um, I think that the expectations for recession, if we have it, of course, different people have different opinions, but are that it's going to be manageable. It's going to be relatively short. It's not going to be terribly deep. I don't know if that's the optimism I'm hearing right. uh, from senior people in finance or or that's really how they see it. But um, these firms need the talent. Goldman Sachs always says our greatest assets walk out the door every night. Right. So yep. at banks, at, at private equity shops, they know that they need to hang on to their best performers. And that's how they're going to weather right. these downturns.
4: Kate Kelly, always great to see you. Thank you.
2: You too. And that's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for the latest business news headlines and so much more.
3: The Squawkopedia.
2: Right. And follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating or reviewing Squawk Pod to let us know what you think. Have a great day, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow.
1: And we are clear. Thanks, guys.
7: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.